Um, my name is Dakota. I am, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm a covenant member here at the well. I'm a part of the Brentwood CG. Um, and I get to serve on the creative team. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, I'll be reading our scripture from today. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. All right, family, how are we? Good, good. Uh, hey, I'm excited to be here with you all uh, this afternoon. Uh, just a quick little aside real quick. Uh, I was playing with my girls this morning and I like hurt my neck really, really bad. So if I'm like awkwardly moving, it ain't y'all, it's me, all right? Just want y'all to know that. So the devil be petty, y'all. Remember last week? I told y'all, right? All right, we ready? Cool, let's uh, begin our new series. So we are in a series, Uniquely Jesus. Uh, what we're doing with this series is we are walking through the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That word synoptic, it just means through the same lens. And so what normally happens in these gospels is they tell stories from a very particular lens and they all kind of tell very similar stories. And so you'll see the same stories, the same parables, the same healings by all three of those authors very often. However, throughout each of their stories as well, they also tell these unique stories that are found in only one of the gospel accounts. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take these healings, these parables, these different stories from from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and we'll begin to dissect why did only one gospel writer write about this? What was unique about this story to them? And as we begin to dissect that, our hope is, is that you would both see the uniqueness of Jesus who is reaching all people and also see how Christ is uniquely trying to interact and communicate with you as well. Jesus often communally draws us towards the same thing, hence why you see all of the gospel writers being impacted by the same way, but he also very uniquely interacts with us as well. And so at the start of each sermon, uh, we'll actually look at why we think this author kind of picked this story, uh, and we'll try to give you a little bit about like the author and the background and what they're doing here, and um, hopefully we see Christ in some unique ways there. Cool? 
Okay, so Luke is a Gentile, and he's actually the only known Gentile author in Scripture. A Gentile just means a non-Jew. And so naturally, Luke identifies when Jesus tells stories about those who are in oppressive situations or outsider type of situations. Luke often highlights these outsiders being invited into the kingdom, or he shows how Jesus does these miracles to people that are in lowly states, really trying to communicate God's uh, love for all of humanity. And so Luke, he often tells these unique stories about women or about Gentiles, or he has more stories with the sick or the outcasts, really highlighting God's redemptive plan to bring all peoples and all nations to himself. This is obviously a huge heart of the well as well, and so we actually share in Luke's heart here to see all peoples come into the kingdom of God. Now this particular story, it seemed important to Luke because of his passion for justice and his heart and him wanting to see God's heart and his love for broken people. Now we may not realize how much we naturally identify with Luke because most of us don't see ourselves as Gentiles, we're far enough away from the resurrection of Christ to realize that the gospel is indeed for all people, but as a Gentile, many people thought that Luke was not welcome into the presence of God, like he was an outsider, just like the widow in this story. And today, I think because of our sin, a lot of us also don't feel like we are welcome in the presence of God, and yet this story communicates the exact opposite truth, family. Right, like, like one of the implicit truths of this passage is that Jesus is highlighting God's desire to hear people's voices and their requests and to continually come to him in prayer, always asking, God wants you near. There is this idea that uh, God has this love for us and, and he wants us near to him and he wants us to be able to hear his voice as well. And so we are not outsiders, though our sin may make us feel like that, but we are God's creation and Jesus is trying to show us how to get back into the presence of God again. And so you may feel like you don't have access to God, but this story would say the exact opposite. You really do if you're coming through Christ. That's a word for somebody in here, by the way, because you've not been seeking God because you feel like you are distant. That's you putting distance, not God putting distance, family. God longs to be close to us, and the enemy is telling you that you do not have access because of who you are. But Luke is showing us, if this widow has access before an unjust judge, then how much more do you have access with a perfect sacrificial father? You have access. Now, some parables, when Jesus tells them, they're hard to understand, okay? But this one isn't hard to understand at all, right? Jesus gives us the answer to the quiz right up front, which I love when professors do that, by the way. You don't ever have to study, right? Um, and so Jesus says that this parable is being told so that you would always pray and so that you do not lose heart. Now, there's other truths that we can pick up from this, but the prevailing reasoning of this story is to produce this prayerfulness and this endurance in the saints. Now, I want to say this. Just because a story is easy to understand does not mean that it's easy to do and to apply. 
And so many things in the Bible are very easy to understand, but they're very hard to believe and they're very hard to do. I believe that this is one of those passages. In fact, uh, just as a, a quick poll so that you feel like you understand where this entire room is, how many people feel like you do both of these things well, that you always pray and you never lose heart? Raise your hand if that's you. Perfect, okay. Let's break it up a little bit, right? How many people would be like, yeah, man, like, like I always pray. Raise your hand. Okay, we got like one, two people. How many people here are like, I never lose heart? Okay, like, like a couple people. And people are throwing up their hands like this, y'all. <laughs> like a little dinosaur, right? And so look, either, either we are a really, really pagan church, Okay, that's part, or Jesus knew that his children would need to hear this parable, y'all. And so just because it's easy to understand does not mean that it's easy to do, which this is a really important side point, but something that we should understand is that all of us, we know that certain things like this are true, but we struggle to do them. So just because you understand the Bible does not make you a mature Christ follower that's actually living by the Bible. Hello. Right? You cannot let your excellencies in theology trick you into thinking that you're mature in your Christianity. It's those who live out the word that actually have the maturity of Christ and the spirit dwelling through them. And so you may know the right thing, but applying it is likely a lifelong pursuit, family. And so how do we apply this? And so Jesus says we should pray and not lose heart. Then he tells the parable, to paraphrase, let's walk back through. There's this judge and he's jank, right? And then there's this woman and she is in need. In fact, the judge is not a God lover and not a people lover, the text tells us. In fact, the judge is so jank, y'all, he's so trifling that he says, yeah, I don't fear God, nor do I fear man. Now, like most people ain't that ratchet, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, like other people may know that they're foul and they may even know in their own hearts that they're foul, but who says, I don't love God and I don't love people? Like out loud, right? And that's what this judge is saying. And now, we don't know a whole lot about the widow, right? But we do know that she's a widow, that there's some sort of justice that she needs or desires. She wants something that is wrong to be made right, is what justice is, and that she has enemies. So this widow is in very serious need. <clears throat> but because this judge, he don't care about people, he's trying to turn a cold ear to this woman, the text says. But homegirl is persistent, right? She keeps on coming over and over. And homie is like, all right, dag, man, right? And he begins to move. I think that uh, little kids are born with persistent widow tactics. <laughs> it's like, dog, yes, you can stay up as long as you want, all right? <clears throat> Now notice in this story, he doesn't even see this woman rightly. He saw her as a bother rather than as a daughter by which he should give justice, which was his job. He was a judge, right? He should be giving her justice, but he sees this woman as a bother. The judge is all sorts of messed up in his theology and his understanding. So if this man who sees his very job as a nuisance to provide what is needed is still moves on behalf of this woman, then will not God, whose job it is as our Savior, deliver you and bring you mercy in time of need, family? 
You see, it's interesting because it seems to be that things are in this judge's control. She goes to him and then it looks like he's able to respond to her request and to actually bring her justice, implying that it's also in God's control to give us what we need when we ask him as well. And so she keeps coming and she keeps coming because she needs this response. In fact, the Hebrew word there for beat me down continually by her coming is actually the Hebrew word that means to punch somebody in the face. It's like sock them, all right? That's the, the word here. It actually means to give them a black eye. The, the literal translation means to beat the face black and blue. So she's for real persistent, y'all, right? Like I never have anyone give me an emotional black eye because of how much they kept asking me for something. And Jesus is saying, I want you to come to the Father like this. I mean, that's unbelievable to not lose heart in prayer. That's an unbelievably profound statement, family. I want you to continue to come as if you are continually beating somebody in the face. I want you to pray like that, Jesus says. Ask me again, is what God says here. Usually when I say, ask me again, this is not done with a heart of kindness. It's like my daughter coming, I'm like, ask me again. Right? That was Travis's joke, by the way, right? Jesus, what he does then is he applies this parable and he says, if the unrighteous judge answers this woman, then how much more the righteous judge will he answer in our God? Now, it's interesting about this parable is that it actually makes the widow the secondary character, even though she's the primary focus in the parable, You see, the widow is literally named after them. The the main idea, obviously, is that we should be like the widow, but the judge is kind of the one that takes center stage here, right? The judge gets like four direct verses, and the widow really gets like one verse. This, I believe, is because prayer is a lot less about us and a lot more about God, family, You see, if the effectiveness of prayer were based on our efforts, then most of us would realize that we are nothing like this widow. We're not very persistent. But if prayer's effectiveness are based on God and his character and his extreme faithfulness, then prayer becomes a means by which we get to drink deeply the benefits of God's mercies and grace. It becomes more about God than it becomes about us, so it becomes a lot less condemning and a lot more hopeful because prayer is based on the hope-filled one, not us who fail often. You see, prayer becomes a means of mercy in times of need, a, a way by which we can commune with the God of the universe. I think at times we're not like this widow, in fact, because we do not see the power or the beauty or the effectiveness of prayer, and therefore we cease to pray, and what happens is, is we begin to try to take things that are only able to come about by divine effort, and we try to work them out with our human hands as if we are able to do the acts of God. We're not, family. We need to lean on God. It's it's easy to lose heart in prayer and to fall to pessimism or apathy when God does not answer us immediately. At least it's easy for me, y'all, right? Like I today hurt my neck and was like, I ain't trying to walk up on stage like a robot, heal me, and I prayed like three times, I ain't get healed, and I was like, bump this, man, right? Like it's really easy on something simple like that to lose heart. But I believe if we lose heart, this would be us mistaking the intentionality and the purpose of prayer. 
Because see, while prayer does indeed give us access to God that we may request things that we need, there's something much more substantial that we get in prayer, and that is God himself, family. Our heart rightly aligned with God's. You see, we tend to think of prayer as this means to get what we want from God rather than a means by which God makes us into whom he wants. Right? Like we tend to think that prayer is a process by which God grants our requests, when in reality, I believe it is more like a pathway by which we garner relationship with the Almighty. You see, prayer is not just a means to get what we want or what we need, though God does indeed respond to the needs of his saints family. This parable is really, really clear. But prayer is a lot more than getting what you need, right? It is a gift of grace to begin to commune with the one that we love. And so that quote that was up there, I believe it is true. I think we lack persistence because we don't always see the purpose of prayer, y'all. I think we lack persistence because we're mistakenly thinking what prayer is and what it isn't, and that makes us lose heart because we don't know the purpose of prayer. You see, if we pray, and then we get whatever request we want immediately after we pray. God no longer becomes a father by whom we delight to have a relationship with. He becomes a divine vending machine, y'all. We press A3 and we get the bag of Doritos we want, right? And, and God becomes this vending machine genie over a God who is to be worshiped. In fact, I believe that if after one request we got what we wanted, we would begin to think that we are God because it would seem like we can control God. However, I believe that if prayer is not just about getting what we want, but it's actually about finding relationship with God, then our prayers are not just requests to God, but they become these moments of communion by which our souls can be revived whether or not we receive what we think we need, family. They become something so much more. And understanding this, beloved, I believe is one of the key ways that we grow to not lose heart in prayer despite the delays that may come. You see, God is a good judge who responds to poor widows, us. He responds and he understands our needs and he rightly responds when the time is right. That's what this parable is highlighting. Like, think about it, family. Like, like, let's just get really practical. Let's love the Lord our God with our minds right now, right? Constant success in prayer would mean that you know every single thing that is right and good at every single turn, making you no longer dependent on God because you know what you need, therefore making you God. If every time you prayed it came to be, that means you know exactly what you need and you are now God, beloved, or at least have the same power of God, it would make God this magic trick for the amusement of our fantasies, saints. And it would make God this, this power that human beings could control or could compel with the right verbiage or the right posture or whatever it might be. And so sometimes I believe that unanswered prayer becomes the very evidence of God's existence, you see, because we're not dealing with a magic trick, we're dealing with a divine being who knows our needs better than we do. So his nose become a great evidence of his existence and his love to actually give you something better than what you think you need in that moment. I wish I had a few more witnesses this afternoon. 
right? I mean, I mean, like, yes, like he wants to hear your voice, and so, so we should come to him. But unanswered prayer, it becomes this gift, family, that even if we are not ready, even if God says no, not just yet to our request, or even if he is, we are coming and he is beginning to change us, we're getting something better than the answer to a prayer. We're getting God himself, which no matter how many prayers you pray, they will never accumulate to the power of just receiving God himself, family. If God answered every one of your prayer requests you ever prayed but you did not have God, you would be in hell. God is the reward. And I believe as he delays, he often aligns our heart to be more like his. As the great, great theologian Garth Brooks once said, (laughs) sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember, when you're talking to the big man upstairs, wait, let me read this for real, okay? When you're talking to the big man upstairs, that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. I, I can't even read without a country accent, y'all. I can't, I'm from the north, y'all. I, don't even, I can't even do that toying, right? It doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. That was for Jacob Brown, by the way, because he's rolling off the elder board next week, all right? Look, I ain't never listened to a Garth Brooks song a day in my life, y'all. But that quote is hidden, all right? My man's just spitting facts here. I mean, think about the reality. Once again, let's stay in this idea of unanswered prayers. Like, like don't you thank God for unanswered prayers at times? Like, as you get older, you're like, dag, I'm really glad he ain't answered that, right? Like, like if God would have answered every one of my prayers about the church, y'all, I would have thought I was the man, right? Now, listen, I actually believe that I was praying noble things. It wasn't like I was praying for like some weird platform or some, like I was praying things like, like God give us thousands of salvations the first year that we plant and allow us to like grow and multiply and have this affection for you. They were noble prayers that I actually believe was coming from a pure heart. However, the results, had those prayers been answered, would have begun to corrupt that noble heart and I would have thought more highly of myself than I ought to think. I would have likely begun taking credit for the work of the Holy Spirit, therefore making me a blasphemer of the very God that I'm praying to. So even a noble heart at times and even requests that are aligned with the will of God, I know that God wants salvation in humanity, even still he might deny them or delay them because he cares about your heart, beloved, in the process. He will not give you away into something that will ruin you. His delays become evidence of his goodness towards you, beloved. And so even in the midst of unanswered prayer, we should not lose heart and we should continue to come to God because something better than the answer is happening in our hearts if he's delaying or denying that request. Now Jesus, after laying this out and encouraging us to pray and making us focus on the judge over the widow, thinking about the character of God, he ends with this in verse eight, which I just think is really, really interesting. He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I was like, wait, what? (laughs) All right, like, 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 this last sentence of the parable, it, it, it makes it seem like it takes this all of a sudden really big left turn. 
Like I thought we were talking about like uh, persistence and, 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 and praying and, and not losing heart. Like where is this coming from? All of a sudden we're talking about faith and the second coming. All right, now, now listen, I think he's doing two things here to this seemingly strange ending that will actually make the entire parable make sense if we understand the heart behind what Jesus is saying. If Jesus is saying keep asking because you'll always get what you want, verse eight makes no sense. But if Jesus is saying what I was saying, that prayer is actually an alignment to who God is, it fixes your heart, it allows for relationship, it gives you something better than an answered prayer, God himself, then it makes verse eight make sense. You see, firstly, this word justice that is used here is actually not the normal word for justice that is used throughout the scripture. This word, almost every time it's used, is connected with end time justice. When Jesus returns, the second coming of Christ to make all things right. And so that word justice that's used is pretty much only used in relation to the second coming of Jesus. Now I want us to think about this then, okay? Um, Why is this widow asking an unrighteous judge for end time justice? Like she's in a sense asking this human man to make like all things right again. Well, because a parable is a simple story that tells a powerful truth. And Jesus is trying to jolt people, I believe, out of complacency a little bit. Here's what he's doing here, y'all. Think about the context of this widow. This woman in that culture was supposed to have a husband that was able to help her, but he's dead because she's a widow. And now God's people are supposed to be the one that helps her, but apparently they're not doing that. They've rejected their duty, so now she's having to advocate for herself. You see, in the Jewish law, there were all these rules about what somebody was supposed to do for a widow, but then for her to all of a sudden appeal to an extremely unjust judge means that the Jews were not fulfilling this law. They were not helping her make things right, so she had to fend for herself. This should have actually shocked the disciples, kind of, helping them realize that it's not just for ourselves that we are praying, but we should be persistently praying for others as well. That not only should you not lose heart at your own justice that you need, but you should also look at the world around you and not lose heart and keep fighting for them too, family. You should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the unjust judge, it likely represents the Roman Empire in the disciples' minds, making this story pop like that much more to them. If Rome could give justice despite all of their corruption, then how much more should we give justice and love to others? That's what I think Christ is saying here. And how much more will Christ, the righteous judge, who is very much unlike Rome, give justice in the time of need? How much more will Jesus actually make all things right? In other words, we should not just be praying for and then personally working towards our own justice, but we should be praying for and then personally working toward an end time type of justice even right now. In other words, we should be fulfilling part of Jesus's prayer in the Lord's prayer where he says, the kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our response of trying to help create justice, we're beginning to respond to the prayers of Christ himself and we're beginning to make earth look a lot more like heaven so we become the fulfillment of what is needed. This is not just a story about prayer. There's so much more here that prayer should compel 
tell, if you are praying rightly, you're going to naturally begin to love people around you, family. That's what this text is saying. So that's subpoint number one to Jesus' main point about persistence. The second subpoint is that this widow, she's praying for something that seems impossible, y'all. Think about what she's actually praying for here. Jesus coming back and making all things right. That's what she's praying for. He's literally telling her to pray the most absurd thing, right? That Jesus would make all things right. So if we can pray for the most absurd thing, even though it is massive, how much more does God want to hear our little prayer requests and respond to them as well? Let me restate that again. If God is going to answer the biggest prayer request ever, that Jesus will come back and make all things right one day, won't he answer the smaller request as well, family? Like the needs that you have and the things that we need and the justice that we're looking for, like, like won't God respond to that if he'll respond to this one? And he's saying that he will. The simple point is, is that God wants to answer prayer, family. This is good news. And so we bring our prayer to him, and we allow him to answer. In fact, he's going to answer the biggest one. He's going to answer all those little requests, whether they're spoken out loud or uttered under your breath in your heart, for your soul to never be sad again. Jesus will answer that. He will come, and he will make all things right. He will come, and he will wipe away every tear. He will come and fulfill every single need and desire that you have, beloved, This is the promise of Christ. And so if he's gonna answer this, what about the simpler ones? And so the text is really clear. We now do not grow weary in prayer. Yes, there may be delay because something better has happened, but when Christ looks at you, will you have faith because you know who you are praying to, the faithful one? You see, if prayer is a lot more about God and a lot less about us, then we are praying to a faithful one, therefore we can keep up our prayers, family. This is the message of Jesus. You see, prayer is a privilege. It literally took the death of a son to give us access, the torn veil, into the presence of God. Right, Like God so longed for us to be able to come to him in prayer that he laid down his life in order to give us access. In fact, so sweet is prayer to God and to Jesus that Jesus, after he resurrected, is still praying right now, family. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Praise God. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. In other words, if you do not know Jesus in here today, Jesus is actually praying that you would come into his presence because that's how much he wants relationship with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 is more so to Christians. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ could be doing anything at the right hand of God, y'all. He could be ruling, he could be chilling, he could be eating a snack, right? Instead, Jesus is at the right hand of God praying, So sweet is prayer, and so much does God long for you to pray that Christ himself is pleading for you right now, beloved. Like, if you have ever felt alone, if you have ever felt like nobody cares, that is a lie from the enemy because Jesus is praying for you, family. If nobody else is praying, the God of the universe who could be doing anything is deciding to still serve you by praying for you. 
What a gift of God. What a hope. What a joy. And what a value this shows that prayer is, that Christ is still doing it today. If prayer was only for humanity, he wouldn't be doing it in heaven, family. But he's still doing it today because it's more than just getting requests. It's getting God. And Christ is God. Sky Jethany, he's a pastor and an author. He says this. He says, our Lord sees our needs, and he can meet them without our prayers, but he longs to give us something more. He wants to give us himself. Through prayer, C.S. Lewis says, we assume the high rank of persons before him, and he descends becoming a person to us. In other words, in prayer, we lift up our eyes to look upon the face of God, and he bestows upon us the unimaginable dignity of looking back. I mean, does your mayor listen to you? Right? Like, we in Austin, all right? No. Uh, Does your school board superintendent listen to you? Does your president listen to you? Right? Like, Like, these high positions, not only do they likely not listen to you, they probably don't even know you exist. Right? Like, like, does your governor listen or, or does the CEO of your company listen to you? Does your dean or your school president listen? Probably not, but your God does. You see, the most high God who reigns above every king of the world, he bends his ears and he listens, family. Could you imagine if every time you picked up your phone, like you could get the president and do whatever? Do you have the God of the universe? That's what this text is saying. And he bends his ears and he hears us. And we know, we know for a fact that God is listening to us because just a few chapters after this parable, Jesus would go to the cross to gain us access, family. You see, this widow came beating down this judge, emotionally striking him in the face so that she might receive what she needed. But Jesus is the better judge who was literally struck in the face by us widows so that we could get the spiritual justice that we need, family. You see, the unrighteous judge, she responded because he no longer wanted to carry her burden. But the righteous judge, God, responded not just by carrying your burden, but becoming the burden for us, family. As he becomes sin on the cross. She needed an advocate to fight against whatever adversary that she had, but because of Christ's resurrection, we have an advocate, the Holy Spirit of God, who also continually prays for us that we might overcome our adversary as well. You see, Christ became the great example family because Christ was consistently praying on earth, was he not? You see, in fact, right before the cross, we see Jesus pleading with the Father, praying consistently in the garden, asking for deliverance. Jesus was asking for justice right before he went to the cross. You see, not only is Jesus the better judge that responds, he's actually the truer widow as well. He becomes the humble, needing widow, yet he did not get what he asked for from God, justice. He died even though he was perfect. Why did that happen? It's because of what he purchased, justice, family. Even though you and I do not deserve to have any one of our prayer requests answered because Jesus had his prayers denied, yours might not be answered because he took on our sin that we might get his righteousness, meaning he took on the inability for us to have access to God and he gave us the uh, access and ability that only he should have had. Jesus becomes the true and better. Jesus' prayer for deliverance in the garden went unheard so that your prayers for deliverance will forever be answered, beloved. 
This is good news, family. You're getting what Jesus deserved because he paid your wages. And now, because of the resurrection, we ought to, like Christ, always be praying and never lose heart. Because if Jesus did, if God did not spare his son, Jesus, will he also not give us all good things? God responds to his saints, family. He responds to you. And so pray, family. Like, like pray. Pray to God. Like, as we replant corporately or as we try to find healing individually for what we need, it's important that we see the necessity of prayer and that we, like the widow, we do not grow weary in praying because even if we don't get the answer, we know that we're getting something better, family. We're getting God himself. Let me end with this, okay? Um, Every time we talk about prayer, I feel like I need to give this uh, like caveat because I know of nothing in one's spiritual walk that creates condemnation in somebody's heart like prayer. We all know we need to pray more, right? If I ask the question, who in here feels like they pray enough? Not like always, like just enough. There would have been like three people raising their hands, right? We all know we need to pray more. And so some of this is likely healthy conviction that we feel in our heart. But a lot of it, I believe, is unhealthy condemnation, maybe even an attack from the enemy, your adversary, to try to get you not to pray, Because if God wants you to come into his presence, which is the implicit message of this parable, and you feel constantly condemned, you will never go into his presence. But if you recognize that because of the cross of Jesus, he took on our sin and gave you his righteousness, then what happens? We begin to want to pray. And so it no longer becomes about us praying enough or doing enough or trying to navigate our way towards God. All of a sudden, it just becomes about the end of verse eight faith. As we believe that God is who he says he is, we long to come into his presence. And so how do you grow in prayer? You believe in God. That's how you actually grow in prayer. That's the, the, the trick, if you will, to the end of Jesus's message. If we believe that God is truly who he says he is, then will we not always come to him in prayer, family? And so I pray that we would be a people who believe that God is who he says he is, a gracious God, a generous God, a just giving God who wants to work out the needs of his saints that we would receive from him. You see, this is this unique Jesus who allows us access into this God no matter where we may have found ourselves today. And he does not need a hundred platitudes or a hundred sacrifices for you to gain access to God. He already gained that access for you, family. And so let us continually come to him with our needs and never lose heart. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Precious Jesus, uh, we thank you for giving us access. Father, I want to, with our body, with our family, with the congregation here, say we are like these widows, God. We, we need help. I need help simply coming to you to pray more because my heart doesn't want to do the very thing that gives me life. My heart delays. It doesn't come. It doesn't want from you even. And so I need you to help me want you even, Jesus. I need faith. 
God, we need faith. There are real needs in this room that, that feels like, man, God, we are waiting for you to respond with justice. Would you, in your kindness and grace, would you respond to them? Even today, Jesus, these needs that your sons and your daughters are lifting up to you, would you respond to them, please, Christ our God? But Jesus, if you delay, I pray that we would have the faith to realize you're doing something better than just not responding. You're drawing us in, you're changing our hearts, you're giving us yourself. And so Christ, I confess, I have often gone to you and felt like you did not hear and I began to blame you as if you are not good, as if you're an unjust judge. But you're not, you're perfect. And so Father, forgive me, forgive us for that posture. You allow us access, help us to be like this widow who continually comes, who always pray and who do not lose heart. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus, amen.